Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are continuing our series on managing God's resources. One of the major problems in our Western society today is greed. Today, Pastor Roy will be sharing from God's Word about guarding against greed. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and follow along with Pastor Roy. I don't know why, but it seems like uh, lately I've come across um, a lot of these stories that have to do with genies, and I came across another one that uh, a young man, single man, um, came across a genie, and he was given three wishes by the genie, something about those threes, and the first wish, he said, I would wish that I would have a billion dollars. Poof, he was given a billion dollars, and... His second wish was that he wished he had a red Ferrari sports car, and poof, he was given a red Ferrari sports car. And finally, his third wish, he, you know, being a young single man, he thought, you know, he said, my third wish is that I would be irresistible to women. And poof, he became a box of chocolates. <laughs> See, greed is horrible. It's a horrible thing. Um, and yet it's something I think that we all struggle with, if we're honest. Uh, but I'll have to confess, over the years that I've been in ministry, I really haven't had somebody come into my office and say, you know, they've, they've struggled with this or that, or this or that. But I don't remember in all the years I've been in ministry, somebody coming in and say, you know, I really pastor struggle with greed. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just something I really struggle with. And... Probably for all of us, it would not be on our list of top 10 things that we would say we struggle with, but yet, probably in reality, we all struggle with it a lot more than we, we realize. Um, and it reminds me of just even in our culture how driven we are for stuff, for things. Um, pulled up an article from November 28, 2008 where the throng of Walmart shoppers had been building all night, filling sidewalks and stretching across a vast parking lot at the Green Acres Mall in Valley Stream, New York. 3.30 in the morning, the Nassau County Police had to be called in for crowd control, and an officer with a bullhorn pleaded for order. It was Black Friday. Tension grew as the 5 a.m. opening neared and someone taped up a crude poster that said the blitz line starts here. By 4.55 a.m., with no police officers in sight, the crowd of more than 2,000 had become a rabble and could no longer be held back. The man at the door weighed 480 pounds, plus some of his co-workers, Fists banged and shoulders pressed on the sliding glass doors, which bowed in with the weight of the assault, and they shattered the glass. The doors shattered, the shrieking mob surged through in a blind rush for holiday bargains, and that 34-year-old man was trampled to death. Several others were injured as well, which kind of shows us the heart of our culture how much we are after stuff and greed. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about money and possessions. Uh, out of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke of, 
in the New Testament, 16 of them have to do with money and possessions. This parable that we're going to look at today has to do with that. So if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, there's a crowd that has gathered here. And one of the people in the crowd says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, isn't that just like family? They get together and there's a squabble over money, over possessions. Probably most of us in this room know somebody or a family who has struggled over money, possessions. Somebody dies and there's a big fight in the family because it boils down to greed. We're greedy. And here, Jesus now is being called on to be a referee and settle a dispute between this family over money. And look at Jesus' answer. Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In essence, what he was saying is, Be careful because possessions will control you. But here's the other thing. I'm not even settling the dispute because that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to settle those kind of... I'm on a greater, far greater mission. I'm on an eternal mission. I don't have time to deal with the temporary things of life. I'm on an eternal mission. And Jesus didn't even want to go there in this particular case. But then he goes on and he tells them a parable in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And so I think here in this passage, he's giving us some ideas of how we can guard against greed. And in this passage, we're going to look at three mistakes that this man made in his life only to come down to the end and not have time to reorder his life. The first mistake we see is his failure to realize that God owns it all. The Bible tells us in Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns everything that we have, our very breath, our heartbeat. I mean, everything we have is owned by God. He tells us in Haggai 2:8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He owns it all. So the question is not how much am I going to give God from what I have, but how much am I going to give God from what he has given me? I'm just the manager. He's the owner. I am to be a steward of what he's entrusted me. I am to manage well what God has given to me. And I will give an account of what I have been given. But I think there's another thing here when we see the fact that God owns it all, and that is this, the deception of possessions. There is a deception in possessions. 
that we have. People are deceived into believing their self-worth is based on what they have. Well, if I have this, I'm worth something. I'm valuable. And we base it on that. But I want to take us to Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 for a moment, where he talks about the parable of the soils. And here's what he says. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and what? The deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Why? Because there's a deception in possessions. We're deceived. Notice what it says, the deceitfulness of wealth. We're deceived sometimes by what we have. And notice it says, what does it do? It chokes it, making it unfruitful. To choke means to suffocate, to overpower. In other words, the fruit does not mature. There is no growth. But yet it says they hear the word, which means there's some type of reception, but there's no application of the word. In other words, I, I, I come in and I hear it, but I walk out unchanged. It, do, it stirs me, but it doesn't cause me to action, where my life actually changes as a result of what I've heard. And I know that as I studied this passage, God was dealing in my own heart. Roy, what about your stuff? Uh, because what I see with this man here is he is absolutely consumed with his stuff. He is concerned about himself and his consumption with stuff and his concern about himself led to what? Callousness toward God. He had a calloused heart toward God and he didn't want to do anything about changing his way. So here's the two things that he says, two things that choke God's word. Number one, the worries of this life. Anxiety or care that brings disruption to the personality and the mind where it actually impacts our mind. And this is crucial. Why? Because our minds are where we make decisions. Here, this man is absolutely obsessed with how is, not with how he's going to survive, but how is he going to hang on to everything he has. But maybe there's other people who are consumed with, how am I going to survive? How am I going to pay this month's rent? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And we get consumed with the worries of this life to the point that it chokes out the Word of God. I know there are some people in our culture today who are so concerned about end times and living through the tribulation that they have started stockpiling stuff right now. And, and they're stockpiling all this stuff because somehow they're going to get security from all this stuff. <laughs> and that security in stuff is not going to deliver us. God is going to meet our needs. He says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these what? All these things will be added unto you. We don't need to be preoccupied with all this stuff, stockpiling it. God is going to take care of us. And yet worry is one of the top things that people have. They worry about relationships. They worry about their work. They worry about their finances. They worry about the future. They worry about having confidence. We worry the older we get, the more we worry about our health. And they can be legitimate things. They say most people worry at home. 65% and over half of those who worried at home did so in the bedroom, according to an article by Graham Davey, who is a PhD. They said he's an expert in anxiety. thought that was interesting. I don't know if it's because he had it or he studied it, but anyhow, an expert. 
And they say over 55% of people worry between 9 p.m. at night and 3 a.m. in the morning. And it steals them of their sleep. And we can become paralyzed by fear. But it's interesting because it attacks the mind. The worries of the life attack the mind. And yet, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's interesting because when they said rabbis would get together and talk, they actually said the word strength there meant with all your wealth. thought that was interesting. I'd never heard it put that way. But love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind. So that's why the enemy wants to control us with worry because then we can't love him with all of our mind like he wants us to. Secondly is the deceitfulness of wealth. He says these are the second thing that chokes out the Word of God. Trying to hang on to stuff. Always working to get more. I mean, that's where some people are. And yet we're deceived about what is important in life. He tells us here, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, how? By its deceitful desires. Someone who doesn't know the Lord, I mean, they're going to be consumed with stuff and self. And they're not going to do what we talked about last week, giving our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, serving the Lord, putting ourselves on the altar, serving the Lord because of the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Here he says when he talks about deceitful desires, it is deceitful propensities which seduce to sin and lead to disappointment. Now let me ask a question. If I was to ask you, and this is rhetorical, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, how many of you believe in what Bethesda Church is doing? You believe in the Iwana program. You believe that the worship of God is important. You believe that teaching adults and children in Sunday school is important. You believe that educating our youth and teaching them a biblical worldview is important. You further believe that supporting missionaries so they can reach various people groups around the world is important. For instance, the Haugs in Japan, 0.4% Christian, or if we turn it around the other way, 99.6% unchristian. And it's the same in the Muslim world. We say, oh, yes, we would say a resounding yes, absolutely, positively, yes, I have a concern for that. Now, if I ask our congregation, how many of you are giving to support that work? And how much are you giving? And if everybody gave proportionally what you gave, would our church be further ahead or further behind? You see, because the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So my treasure has everything to do with my heart. And when we look at this man here, we see his heart is with his stuff, with himself. He is not about to give it away. He's like, how can I build a bigger place so I can hang on to it? It was interesting. When I took classes at Dallas Seminary, I, I had some friends there, and they took me around. Uh, I went to church with them on a Sunday, and they took me through a Dallas neighborhood, and they started pointing out these houses to me that were for sale. And they said, see that house over there? What's going to happen is, and this is what's happened in the past, somebody will buy that house, 
only for the land. I mean, this is in the city. And they tear the house down. I mean, these are big, beautiful homes. Tear the house down and build a bigger one. <laughs> they just want the property. I said, you are kidding me. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's all about status and greed and position. And that's why Jesus told them in Luke 12, 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Mistake number two. His first one was he forgot that God owned it all. Second mistake he made was focusing on the here and now. Some people, that's all they focus on is right here, right now, this is what matters. Future doesn't matter. Eternity doesn't matter. It does matter. And he was so consumed with himself. Look what he says here. He gets a good crop. Where did that good crop come from? It came from the Lord. God gave him good soil, gave him good ground, even gave him skill to be a good farmer. And then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, <laughs> you see where he's at? He's focusing on the here and now of himself. And what do we see in that? An arrogant attitude. All about me, myself, and I. I mean, that's where he's at. It's, it's prideful. His heart is prideful. And the other thing that he is doing is he is making decisions without asking God. Let me ask you a question. Have you prayed about what you put in the offering? Have you said, God, here's how you bless me. What, what do you want me to give? Now, later on, not this week, but we will be talking about tithing and what that means. Is that biblical? Is that for today? Um, we'll talk about that in the future, coming up. But do we pray about and make decisions and ask God what we should give? It's an act of worship. When I put that in the offering, it's an act of worship as I give it to the Lord. Maybe you've heard the word affluenza. It's a combination of two words, influenza and affluence, affluenza. Affluenza means painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. There was a book entitled Affluenza, and the author states that in 1986, listen to this, in 1986, there were more high schools than shopping centers in America. However, just 20 years later, there are twice as many shopping centers as there are high schools. We spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than we do on higher education. And now, even in our culture, we have entire cities as well as even countries going bankrupt, including our own. We're so far in debt as a nation. In 2011, at the Southern Baptist Convention, which would be the conservative Baptist, 
there was a gathering of delegates with the Southern Baptist. And the president at that time, Bryant Wright, declared this. I believe the number one idol within the lives of our people and in the lives of our churches is materialism. It's right in the heart, doesn't it? He pointed out only two and a half cents on every dollar given by evangelical Christians in the United States these days goes to foreign missions. Ouch. And we see this example in this man who is so caught up in today. Psalm 119, verse 36 says, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my heart toward your word because my, your word is going to give me an eternal perspective. In other words, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. So here's what we have to guard against. Placing my trust in the security of my possessions. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And what do we see this man doing? He wants to build up this huge estate, and he says, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, don't invest in other people. Don't worry about the poor. Don't think about foreign missions. Don't think about the church. We don't even hear this man. I don't even know where his family is. Just a certain man. Doesn't even tell us. But what we do see, and again, let me say this. Is there anything wrong with money and wealth? Absolutely not. It's amoral. It's the love of money. It's the love of stuff. God has blessed many people with wealth so that missions can be carried out and work can be done, and that is a wonderful thing. God even blessed Solomon with wealth, but his heart was turned away from God when he got his eyes on all this stuff. So there's nothing wrong with wealth and having it. Praise God that God blesses people with it. And, 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 and he blesses people so they can bless others in the church. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. So it's not the amount of wealth that we have. It's rather the attitude toward the wealth we have. In 1951, there was a young couple in Los Angeles who decided to sign a contract. Now, this is pretty radical. But they decided to sign a contract surrendering everything they owned to Jesus. A few years earlier, the husband had been a businessman focused on trying to build his own empire. But coming to Christ had changed his perspective, and he and his wife began to think about what they really wanted out of life, so they wrote out a contract with God. The contract reflected a decision to no longer work day and night for the bottom line. Instead of building their business to lay treasures upon earth, they would trust God and lay up treasures in heaven. One day later, God gave them a vision for the world that would change millions of lives. And Campus Crusade was born. Bill and Vanette Bright didn't just offer their income to God, they offered every area of their lives 
total, absolute, irrevocable surrender were the words Bill used shortly before he died in 2003. Millions of dollars would pass through their hands, but they gave it all away except for a very modest salary. They made a decision not to accept royalties for books or even honorariums for speaking engagements. They gave away their pension to start a campus center at a Russian university. Even a million-dollar grant that came with the Templeton Prize for Progress in religion in 1996 was quickly put to use for kingdom purposes. They insisted that they had already given everything to God in 1951. The Brights knew they, when they started their ministry that God would lead them and provide everything they needed. And they found the statement to be true, you can't outgive God. That perspective shaped a global ministry that has impacted college campuses and nations for decades. The Brights built their life, lives on the belief that if you use whatever you have for God's glory, He takes care of everything else. And using it for God's glory means fulfilling the Great Commission. The Brights emphasize that when we get to heaven, the issue won't be how much money we made. It will be whether we were faithful to what God called us to do. Your view of God determines everything. Your lifestyle, your friends, your literature, the music you enjoy, according to Bill Bright. Everything about you is influenced by your view of God. He said that's the reason we never felt we should take a penny. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Wow, what a testimony. And now Bill is in the presence of Jesus, and I can't imagine him saying, I wish I wouldn't have given so much. Mistake number three, forgetting that judgment is coming. It's not an easy thing to talk about. But when we look at this text... In verse 20, God said to him, you fool. And it's interesting because when we look in the Psalms, Proverbs, it talks about the fool. And it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's the way he was living, as if there was no God, no eternity, no judgment. And yet... Judgment was coming. He said, you fool. And then look at these penetrating words. Don't let them slip. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You know, some people have had the horrible news of saying, you've got two years to live. And I mean, that is horrible news. But what about this? You don't even have 24 hours to turn your life around. We don't know. Our life is a vapor. We don't know how long it's going to last. But here's one thing we do know. According to Scripture, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment if you're not a believer. And you will give an account of everything we have done, everything we have said, what we've done with our time, what we've done with our money. You see, our money really is an accurate barometer of our relationship with God in a very real way. Because it's our tangible expression of giving back to God of what He has blessed us with. 
If you want to see what your priorities are, look at your checkbook. It'll tell you what your priorities are. It'll tell me what my priorities are and where God fits into the equation. I think of the words in Mark 8.36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And the one thing we see here with this man right here is he had a diseased soul. He was diseased by his stuff. No time to repent or change your ways. And it's also a reminder of this, that our life is on loan from God. Our life is on loan from God. And one day he's going to call the loan. (laughs) The loan will be called and will need to be returned. And the angel of death is going to visit us whether we welcome him or not. He's going to come. On the 25th of October in 1859, there was a steam clipper called the Royal Charter that rounded Angel Sea, a large island off the northwest coast of Wales, on what was supposed to be a celebratory last evening of its two-month journey from Melbourne to Liverpool. There were 500 men, women, and children were nearly home. Many feeling blessed with fortunes worked from Australia's gold fields. Many of the passengers had gold crammed into their pockets, hidden in money belts, stuffed in their luggage and locked up in the strong room. It was a ship of fabulous wealth. After completing 59 days of their 60-day journey, the passengers were toasting each other at the dining table. But then the day's weather suddenly turned murky. Murky, The barometer was falling as a royal charter neared this huge island in the rocky cliffs. A menacing haze overtook the skies of the early evening. No one knows whether the ship's experienced captain, Thomas Taylor, saw these and other telltale signs. But eyewitnesses reported that a battle between ship and storm raged over the next 12 hours. He was confronted with a decision 59 days out from Melbourne on a 60-day voyage, passengers toasting him at the dining table, more rights in the weather experiment, the pioneers who sought to see the future. Taylor chose to sail on. The decision is one of the most second-guessed in the history of meteorology. It is also one of the most fateful. The royal charter bashed onto the rocks. All but 41 of its passengers were crushed or drowned, many of them weighted down by the gold in their pockets. The Apostle Paul said, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above not on earthly things let's stand for a word of prayer I would like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I would just like to simply ask you the question. Maybe today 
you are challenged with thinking about your finances in a new way. You're thinking about greed and where your heart really lies. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think it's imperative that we give great consideration to what we are doing with what God has given us. Because we are called to be stewards of what He has given us. And the first thing that will help us remember that is that God owns it all. He owns it all. And the second thing is not to just focus on the here and now. Don't just focus on the here and now. There's an eternity. And as we are training boys and girls, we're training the next generation. As we are supporting our missionaries, we are supporting the Great Commission. So my question is, where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Your heart will tell you where your treasure is. God works through his people. He doesn't want to squeeze it out of us. That's not his desire. It's just that we remember that everything we have has come from him. Our lives are on loan. Our ability to make money is a gift from God, even. The fact that I'm able to make money is a gift from God, that I have health, that I've been blessed. And I know that we have some very good givers in this church, and I'm thankful for it. And I personally do not know what anybody gives in this church. So when I say that, I'm saying that out of good faith. (laughs) I just believe we have some good givers. I have no idea what anybody gives, and I don't want to know. But God does. And would you just tune your heart to say, God, is this an area in my life that I need to change, that you need me to grow in? And in the weeks to follow, we're going to be talking about what that really means and what does the Scripture say of the New Testament church? How are we supposed to be giving to the Lord? I believe it's an area that we need to grow in as a church. And I hope that God will help all of us, including me, to grow in this area. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Before you give God anything out of your wallet, He wants your heart. Because again, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He wants your heart first. He wants you to be in a personal relationship with God. The Bible tells us that we have been born in sin, separated from God. And the only thing that will wash away our sin is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who gave himself on the cross on our behalf. He died a wicked, cruel death. He took our sin He took our punishment upon his shoulders that we could be forgiven. And I would just ask you, in light of the fact of, as we look at this passage today, God called this man a fool because he said, this 
very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I received some horrible news this week that a dear friend of our family, uh, a man that I've known for a number of years, has been a great encouragement in my life, lost his son this week. And the reason that hit home so hard is because he was my age. It's a reminder. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next year. We're promised right now. That's it. And so from here on out, maybe it's an opportunity for you to say, God, it's time that I get serious about my relationship with you. Maybe you have thought about giving your life to Christ. You haven't done it. And my question is, if not today, when? If not now, when? What is the barrier holding you back from giving your life to Jesus Christ? I hope it's not the alternative. Because <laughs> the alternative leads to eternal separation from God. And then the other thing is, what am I going to do if I'm a believer with the resources that God has given me, that I am faithfully to support His work, His church. That's how God has chosen to do it. And we just have to be obedient. And so I pray that as we do this, as we go through this series, that God will work in our hearts, not, not just to bring guilt, but to bring life change to us. There will actually be a joy in giving to the Lord. If you have questions about your eternal soul, to know that this very night your life could be demanded of you and you have not prepared your soul for eternity, I would love to sit down and share with you from God's Word how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today and leave here changed. So please seek myself out, seek somebody out, we're here to answer your questions and to pray with you. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.